We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back in action right after uh, recharging our batteries in Vegas, ready to start the second half here on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast here with Eric Halterman, where we're going to talk about news of the day, of course, risers, and also the NL playoff race. All coming up next on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rotowire and the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Jeff Erickson here with Eric Halterman. Uh, as always, we are happy to be on the Blue Wire uh, Network. Did some uh, recordings from the Blue Wire Studios at the Wynn in Vegas. It was super awesome. Great studio there. We're also brought to you by Home Run Index, uh, and we'll talk about what they have to offer in a little bit. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Eric Halterman, and uh, we are happy to be here talking a lot about the second half, You know, trying to find a sabermetric approach to risers and fallers. But first, Eric, we got a little bit of news. Let's start off in Atlanta. Bad news out of the Atlanta bullpen, losing Nick Anderson to the 60-day IL. Yeah, I guess this is not news that would have been unexpected at the start of the year. If you would have told me Nick Anderson's going to get hurt at right. some point, I guess, yeah. I wouldn't have been too shocked, and I, I don't think anybody invested him at in you know in him at a price point at which they're being crushed by this. But he was turning into somebody who, in those deeper leagues, the sort where you can afford to roster a reliever who's probably not going to get you many saves. You know, maybe you picked him up earlier in the year when Atlanta had that chaos in the bullpen, thought you were going right. to get a few from him. I was I was happy with him, uh, so this is definitely going to be someone that people are going to have to get out of maybe more lineups than you'd expect for somebody who's basically just a setup man exactly exactly and you know it you never know iglesias spent one trip on the il uh another one could be in the offing could happen at some point in time he seems to have stabilized at least iglesias has uh since after a few choppy uh outings here and there yeah what what is just checking what he's got his ERA down to at this point three seventy six is still higher than you want but the yep. strikeout rate is looking like closer material over thirty right at thirty percent I think he's going to be fine so I think probably a lot of people might have dropped Anderson I think his strikeout rate had also been dropping I'm not sure if that was the signs that this injury was coming or if it was just you know had a couple bad weeks and then turns out there was a shoulder as well so I just want to pay you know highlight kind of the Atlanta situation here. They got Soroka and Aller now in the rotation. Max Freed, uh, we'll get to him in a second, is on a rehab assignment. They sent down the two kids. They sent down, uh, uh, you know, 
AJ Smith Shaver uh, and Jared Schuster. Um, I, I was a little surprised on Smith Shaver, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they uh, weren't quite convinced he is ready for the prime time. Um, and they have other options there. Plus, with Freed coming back, we'll see if those guys see a return. But now they've got Minter, who's day to day. They've got Anderson out long term. Um, I would guess you're going to see them trade for a reliever of some sort of stripe pretty soon. Yeah, definitely with this Anderson news, I think that would probably push them over the edge. I mean, what playoff team isn't looking to add a reliever already? So I'm sure they were already thinking in that direction. I guess the other question is, you mentioned some of those young starters that they sent down. I wonder if and when we might see them come back up in a relief role, probably just for the rest of this season. I don't think either of those guys, Schuster or smith Shaver, are somebody Atlanta would be giving up on and converting to relief. But this is, you know, one of the only teams that is very, very firmly in the playoff race right now. Right. And they can be, you know, building their roster, not just on how do we get to the playoffs? I think they could basically expect that they're there. They can start thinking, what's the roster we want to have in October? And if they think that Schuster or Smith Shaver are going to, you know, make a two inning relief appearance in game three of the NLDS or something, pitch the fourth and fifth innings. I wonder if we see those guys come up. Maybe not until September, but it's something that we could see as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Max Freed, he's on, uh, on a rehab assignment right now. We might see him relatively soon. And, uh, you know, he's been on the 60-day IL. His next rehab start will come on Saturday uh, at, at High A Rome. So they're kind of like uh, climbing. He started off at uh, Gwinnett, but because of the way, you know, the travels and all that, it doesn't really matter where he does his outing. But you're, you're looking at a, a progression, like from 35 to 50 pitches, yeah, we may see him in a week or two. Yeah, just looking how long he lasted in his first rehab outing. It was only four outs, so you got to figure he's going maybe three innings at most here, and then another mm-hmm. where he goes four to five. And I would guess he needs at least two more, but maybe not any more than that. Although, again, with Atlanta where they're sitting in the standings, they can probably afford to be cautious if there's anything in that last rehab start that's not quite good enough. I would expect them to maybe, you know, err on the cautious side, give them one more if they need to, because again, October matters much more to them than July right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that there, there's no doubt about that. So let me ask you this: uh, If Max Fried is sitting available in your league, that you, you have a league full of uh, you know, a league with no IL spots, are you looking to uh, pick him up right now? Um, are you waiting? I, he's 100% rostered in the main event, so I guess you don't really have that choice there. Uh, but in other leagues, he may not be. Is this now the time to speculate, or would you even trade for him? Yeah, that's an interesting one. If we say two starts away, you're going to get him pretty soon. Uh, so I think now would be the time, and I would do that, I think, where he's out there. Even as somebody who's not necessarily a big Max Freed guy, I just tend to, if there are similarly priced pitchers, one of whom is the control guy who doesn't get a lot of strikeouts uh, but keeps the ball in the yard, and the other guy you know, is a shaky guy who gets a lot of whiffs. I tend to always draft that second guy. So I don't end up with a lot of Max Freed. And that also means in the shallower leagues where he's been dropped, he doesn't have that strikeout oomph to make him quite as exciting. So maybe he's less of a guy that you really need to stash uh, compared to other guys who are similarly talented. But I still got to figure he's going to clear the bar in pretty much every league where he was drafted to start the season. I think he could be a good deal worse and still be fine. So I I don't know if I'd make him a high priority because, again, he's not somebody I was drafting during draft season. But, I mean, it's Max Freed. This is still 
you know, I guess a, I framed the question wrong too. Something, yeah. Uh, I just, you know, while we were talking, uh, I looked up some of the roster uh, percentages on him, and it's kind of a silly question by me because he he's rostered everywhere, even right. in the twelve team online championship, he's rostered everywhere. Uh, so maybe a trade market question is like, what what's the value of Max Fried? I think is maybe a better question. I'm looking at Yahoo right now, and you know they have a trade. Uh, you know under the research tab, you have, you can check out the trade trends. There's only been one one for one Max Fried trade today, and that was for Kodai Singa. Is that a relatively decent price for Max Fried? What would you what would you say there? Yeah, that doesn't strike me as crazy. I just want to go back and look at what their pre draft price was. What was their main event? Uh, how much of a a gap are you giving up? Looks like Sengo was 162 and Freed was 56. So you're getting about a hundred picks for the uncertainty of taking the guy who's currently injured. That seems like the right ballpark for me. Um, it's the kind of thing where you probably don't pick up the injured guy. If you're sitting in the top of the standings, I don't think if you're in a position though, where you need some things to break, right. If you need Freed to you know, be everybody he was drafted to be and maybe even have a particularly good final two months because you're sitting a few spots out of the playoff. I think that's the kind of situation where I'd be picking up a guy who's currently injured, trading in that sure thing for someone with higher error bars. But I think in that situation, something like that doesn't seem crazy to me. How about yeah. you? Yeah, I, th- I think that sounds about right. Um, so, yeah, we'll see uh, what happens with this next rehab start. But yeah, it's, that seems pretty fair. Uh, let's do one other news item before we start targeting our second half risers. That is Jordan Alvarez. Um, and he's hit, he's beginning his rehab assignment. Good news here. We're happy to see it. Uh, you know, he's, he's missed quite a bit of time. Uh, we'll see. It looks like he, for, he said Dana Brown said he for sure will head out on a rehab assignment after the all-star break shortly after the all-star break means we won't see him this weekend in Anaheim for the big series between the Astros and the angels, but you probably will see him in the near future. You know, this has been a long-term oblique injury. He's been out since June 9th with this injury. Yeah, and it's not the kind of injury that I would tend to have a lot of confidence in, right? An oblique for a power hitter is a pretty important muscle for a big guy like him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not somebody who has a great health track record. I ended up with him in a few more leagues than I probably wanted to this year because I was drafting right at that time where his hand uncertainty was happening. And I was willing to say, it sounds like this hand issue isn't that bad. I'll take him if he falls to me. And then, of course, the hand issue wasn't that bad. And then he's got this instead. So I guess that's what you deal with with a player like him. Maybe it's a lesson for next year. When you're thinking about an injury-prone player, it's not just their current injury that they're dealing with. You you can't just assess that one. And maybe I got got a little bit by, you know, Hmm. he didn't even make it to the halfway point until the next one came up. And this is, yeah, not... Not that any injury is a positive, but I feel like a a large muscle strain that keeps a guy out for at least a month for a large human being who uses his large muscles to hit large homers. Yeah, I I am. I'm worried about this, although I'm pretty excited to see that he might be coming back soon. I think the good the good question is, what do you do about Jordan Alvarez next year? How you know he was killing it. He was earning everybody a massive profit. Uh, where they took him, especially if you got him in the second or third round, as was the case after that hand injury. Uh, now, you know, he's missed so such a long extended period of time. Could he be a windfall next year? Could it be someone that's going to drop into the second or third round? I mean, what and where we, where do you put him before you know anything else? I guess, I guess, say just assume he comes back 
and he tears it up the final two and a half months of the season. What are you doing with him next year? I got to think he's probably back around where Mike Trout was this year, or mm-hmm. does Trout have even less trust among the fantasy community? Or maybe some people thought the Trout was going to start running again. But I think if you didn't expect Trout to run again, and you think of Trout as just one of the best hitters in baseball who does nothing else, and I can't count on him for more than 120 games, I think that's pretty much what Jordan Alvarez is right now. I think this past draft season, Alvarez had about eight to 10 more picks worth of faith for whatever reason. And I think probably this year evaporates that. Uh, Looking at the last two years, it was 144 games and 135. This year he's at 57 and the Astros have 71 more. So maybe you give him, what, 60 games, 65. You're putting him at 117, 120-ish. So yeah. it's three straight years in between 120 and 140. I don't think you can spend a first-round pick on that guy, but I think history says with Trout, people are still comfortable with a, a mid-late second. Yeah, I just fear like missing out on the Aaron Judge windfall when he puts it all together in that one year. Exactly. Uh, but because, uh, I mean, we, we had that approach with Judge, and now you yeah. know he's hurt again this year too, of course. But, uh, you know, I was always like, yeah, my numbers say this. When I do my projections – Judge always popped up high, higher than like ADP, higher than where I wanted him in my rankings. So then I would adjust down and all that. And of course, you know, when you, when, it, when I did adjust down, I missed out because right. of that. Well, um, and I think that hints at something with projection-based rankings with right. these injury-prone guys. It's not actually that, like, you might project somebody for 142 games because on the average of all your simulations, that's where they're going to end up. But the reality is they're not all that likely to finish right there. They're pretty likely to only miss a few games and end up with 152 and quite likely to only play 60 to 80. And really, it, it's so league dependent, I think, whether or not you can, right. you know, it, it might even just be based on how much you're spending on the league if you're just not comfortable taking the risks on a guy who might only give you 60 to 80. These guys, I think, are always going to pop up high on those projection-based rankings. And I think in some places you should listen to them because the the projections are what they are for a reason. And it's because sometimes, like you said, we're going to get that year where everything's right. But for sure. So league dependent. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I didn't prepare you for this one, but the comment in the forum made me uh, realize I wanted to talk Matt Manning um, because he did throw the no-hitter on Saturday against the uh, – against the Blue Jays as part of a combined no-hitter. We're seeing more and more combined no-hitters in baseball uh, in the first place. But let's talk a little Matt Manning because this is a guy that was once a big-time prospect. Then he became a big-time disappointment. Then he became hurt. Now he's back. And it wasn't just this outing, Eric. He was good in previous outings, too. Uh, He was starting to show those signs. The slider was looking better. He's now got a 103 whip. Uh, in, in his outing so far. Now, granted, we're talking five starts, 29 inks. So maybe don't, you know, maybe pump the brakes a little bit here. But this is, you know, it, this wasn't the first time we had something encouraging. Yeah. And with that pedigree that he has, I mean, it was the ninth overall pick back in 2016. I, I think that is going to make me more intrigued than I otherwise would for a guy who has his career numbers. But I, I'm certainly not convinced yet uh, even in that good start his last time out five strikeouts in six and two-thirds innings uh, his four starts before that this year three or four strikeouts and he was a guy who was striking out plenty of batters at pretty much every minor league stop so I don't know if this is the case where he's 
got some things going right and he's having some success even without the whiffs. And once the whiffs arrive, maybe he's going to be particularly interesting. Uh, the projections certainly don't think so. They they look at the fact that he's never been able to strike anybody out. Right. And it's basically league average control and league average keeping the ball in the ground. And they say this, this is a, a back-end starter. But maybe that pedigree uh, gives reason to buy something more than the projections say there. Yeah. He, the, the Tigers are holding him out until the fourth game after the break, at least according to our projected starters grid. We have him going on Monday at KC uh, and then uh, a, a two-start week next week and then a home start against San Diego. So um, he'd actually rather face San Diego in San Diego, I think, it's uh, weirdly enough. But uh, something to watch for there is see if that, that, that ordering holds up. But uh, you definitely like that matchup there. I'm low-key intrigued. I did buy him in a couple of places. Had him active in one league last week and benched in another. So um, half credit for me there. Uh, do, you, but, do you like him because you think the whiffs are coming, or do you think he's got enough that he doesn't need them? I think he may be good at inducing bad contact. I like the ballpark. Um, I just I kind of like Detroit's vibe, to be honest with you, a little bit there, too. Uh, they had a, certainly a weird week. You know, Fred Zinke and I were talking how they may have still have a chance in the AL Central, and they still might, by the way. But then they proceeded to get bounced around by the A's, got blown up by the Blue Jays on Friday night. And then, oh, they just throw a no-hitter. Uh, and then they turn around and blow Tarek Skubal's first uh, start coming back, too. Uh, did you get in on any Tarek Skubal, by the way, in free agent bidding last week? I Maybe just a very little bit. I wish I got in more, though, because I definitely do like him. I think you were telling me he, he was your top target last weekend, and you managed to sneak him in even while everybody else was uh, taking the night off. And I don't think everybody break. else was taking the night off. That no. was the thing. It was Good. pretty competitive bidding, at least in the NFBC. I did kind of slip up in the Rotowire Staff Keeper League. I thought I'd get back to the room in time from our little uh, get-together Sunday night in time to put in the bids before the uh, overnight uh, – run of the staff keeper league free agents and i did not so it's okay i'm only contending and really ha need, need to make sure i stay on top of it every week and all but okay um yeah so, yeah so, i'm sure you won't be the only one this past week so yeah at least it's only uh three games i'm screwed up but i hope i didn't miss out on any big time guys that big time lands but that's the whole point these you wrote about that that this is a huge time to make sure you get your free agents right i did get scooble and yogurt and i got him in one of my main event leagues as well so uh i did get him in a couple leagues where i had the funds more more often than not i don't have the funds like i won ellie in one league i won bobby you know bobby miller in another a yuri perez in the same league so i was at a point there where i really couldn't afford uh to bid bid what it cost to get scooble in most of my leagues yeah, but I'd definitely be advocating for being in on him wherever anybody has the funds. I was really encouraged by the signs he was showing before his injury uh, yeah. last year. He had that pitch mix change, and I'm forgetting exactly what it was. Did he switch from a four-seam to a two-seam or something very early in his career? His first like half season and a half was not good. He was giving up way too many homers. His ground ball That's rates right. were incredibly low. Uh, but about the midpoint of 2021 – uh, he started keeping the ball on the ground and kept his ability to strike guys out. And suddenly last year, he also wasn't walking guys. He was really becoming a complete all around pitcher. He didn't really stand out too much in strikeout rate, walk rate or ground ball rate. But when you're better than average in all three, uh, that gives me a lot of confidence in you as an all around pitcher. And I, I really like what he was showing and everything we've shown so far, just two quick starts. But I, I've seen no reason to believe that he's not going to get back to being that guy. 
Yeah, in the past, it was the four-seamer that was really letting him down. And uh, one of our outlooks from a couple of years ago said they gave up 22 of his 35 homers allowed on that four-seamer. So improving that pitch or, or getting away from it at least has to be the was the priority there. Uh, thanks for everybody for uh, you know dealing uh, parting my detour there, going to Detroit Tiger pitchers there. But uh, we are going to start hitting the second half risers. But first, quick note from our friends at the Blue Wire Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 
Big thanks to Blue Wire, as always, for hosting our podcast. Beautiful studio at the Wynn. Swing by, take a picture. It's right next to the buffet uh, there. Some people were taking pictures of us when we were in there, and they're going to be very disappointed when they find out who was on, but that's okay. You know, had to be somebody. They're doing a broadcast there. But uh, anyways. Feeling like a celebrity. Well, we were doing it with the Dodger heads. I was doing it with them, and then Waylon and Alex Berutha were doing uh, Laker Nation. That actually has a little bit. You know, who knows? Maybe Dodger heads is, is big too, but tre- I, I know Laker nation is pretty big. Trevor Noah is a uh, host there and uh, you know, tre- or Trevor lane, excuse me. I could, I knew it was Trevor. That would be interesting. Yeah. Trevor lane uh, is the host there and he's uh, he, he's got a lot. He's, he's first of all, he's very good. And secondly, he's got a pretty big following too. So I know someone either, actually either Trevor, if you're checking him. in here. Hi. Yeah. So it was cool. It was very cool. All right. Let's talk. Second half risers. And before we talk about players, let's talk about your approach and try and identify them. Yeah. So I, I write the weekly MLB barometer for Rotowire. And one thing that happened over the last week is, you know, not a lot of baseball games. So I didn't want to look too much at just what happened in the last three games. So I took a look at players whose uh, expected stats in, in case of hitting uh, be their ex Woba is better than their actual stats. So, guys who we have reason to believe have shown more than the results said they you know have have shown much potential in the first half for better results uh, than they actually achieved and also these guys are trending in the right direction so they they were better since the start of june than they were uh through the end of may Uh, so i will have a piece out either tonight or tomorrow that covers these names and a few more one guy at each position uh who i think could be one of the biggest risers of the second half. Now, some of these guys have already really started their rise, uh, but I think that's perfectly fine. Their, their season-long numbers still don't reflect the guys who StatCast says they've been already and the guys they've been, you know, again, the last six weeks or so. Indeed. All right. Well, let's look at some of these guys that we're talking about then. Uh, let's start off with Tristan Cassis. I was big in Cassis coming into this season. Cassis, Cassis, let's all forget about it at this point. Uh, but no, let's not. He's got, you know, he's always had a good plate approach, always been able to draw walks. He might have been almost too passive at the start of this season. What makes you interested in him? Yeah, it's it's that plate approach and the barrels. I mean, what what more can you really want when you get a guy who can walk close to 14% of the time and barrel rate about 13% of the time. Well, what more can you want is a lot more than he's <laughs> actually given us. Of course, yes. uh, only hitting 225 with a below average WRC plus. But when, when you give me those things and the strikeout rate at 26% on the season, that's not that bad. Plenty of guys make it work at first base when they hit the ball hard, they can take their walks and they don't hit it that often but they don't strike out a horrible amount of the time. And Cassis also has got that strikeout rate trending in the right direction. Uh, Since the start of June, he's just under 23%. uh, Through the end of May, he was at 28.5%. So still, even since the start of June, not a plus contact guy, but if you can get to average contact while you're hitting the ball hard and have a very good idea of the zone, that, that works, even at first base. By the way, it is Casas. I looked it up. I should have looked it up before we started talking about it. After all, I knew we we're going to talk about him. my bad. It is Tristan Casas. Um, and yes, uh, I, I like that. Well, I, I like looking sometimes at rolling averages. Uh, I, I'm not the first. Obviously, we hit, you know, John uh, is got got a whole account based on that. So obviously, there's some good stuff there from him. Uh, but uh, 
you know, one of the things that we want to do is uh, John Legaze, excuse me. I just wanted to make it, give him pro proper attribution, but he has been a little bit better, a little stronger lately. Uh, 720 OPS over the last 21 days. Uh, still not where we want it to be, but it's it's someone, so, you know, someone there that uh, we, we kind of look at had a nice little weekend. He also still sits against lefties, though. That is one thing that is a little bit of a concern. Yeah, and it seems like he probably deserves to sit against lefties, although, well, the sample size this year is so small that it's hard to say because he's been sitting so much. He actually has a higher WRC+, plus, but it's because he's walking almost a quarter of the time. He's also striking out almost a third of the time. Uh, so I don't think that the Red Sox are going to look at those few extra walks and say he's got to figure it figured out. I think it's the fact that he doesn't seem to be able to make contact with left-handed pitching. Uh, that that's going to be the much more significant thing. And I don't see that necessarily changing, which is going to keep his appeal probably in medium to deeper leagues. He's, he's a mm -hmm. fringy guy at best in those shallower leagues, but it was looking like he might not even be that right. I mean, the early part of this season and a lot of what he was doing last year, it was looking like he was one of those guys that we might've just been collectively wrong on. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, and, or just maybe premature on. And that's the way I kind of look at it sometimes with these True. guys. Red Sox are one game over 500. Uh, but that puts them in last in the AL East and it puts them behind a few other teams in the wild card. This is one of those fulcrum teams. They could go for it, make some additions, which might hurt Casas. Might mean that he gets less playing time. Or they could be sellers, in which case Casas, maybe he plays more down the stretch as, in, as he tends to learn the position a little bit more. Very interesting, pivotal couple of weeks for the Red Sox. Yeah, I guess probably the most fantasy-relevant impact I can see for him is if the Red Sox fall out of it, That that's probably the trigger for them to say, all right, let's just see what he can do against lefties because we're not winning this year. It's more important that we develop his ability to hit lefties because that's the thing for all these guys who aren't quite good enough to be true everyday players right away. The fans always say, well, how's he ever going to learn to hit lefties if we don't give him the chance? And with these teams that are trying to squeak out every marginal advantage just to get into the playoffs, they can't really afford to let him learn. And I think there may well come a point mid-August or later if the Red Sox lose a few games where they just say, all right, Tristan, the most important thing for you the rest of this year is to become a true everyday player. So maybe expect a little hit to that batting average, but some better counting stats uh, in those final six weeks if the Red Sox go on a losing streak here. Right on. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., I mean, this is a guy that has 14 homers, 27 stolen bases. He scored uh, 48 runs. He's knocked in 47. So fantasy-wise, he's already been very productive. But in real life, you think there's still room for him to improve? Yeah, well, a lot of this is because I was just not a Bobby Witt guy before the year. And I don't know if you were, but I saw somebody who had an on-base percentage under 300 uh, WRC plus that was below average. I mean, it was 99, so it was only technically below average, but he was not a first-round quality bat. And I thought the gap from where his bat was to where it needed to be to be a first-rounder, even if he stole a lot of bases. I was thinking of him maybe along the lines of Trey Turner for much of his career, where you expect him to be near the top, which means he doesn't need to have the same bat as the rest of the first rounders, but he does need to have a solidly above average bat. And I wasn't sure that Witt was going to have that, and he didn't for the early part of this year. Uh, were, were you expecting legitimate first round performance? From you know, Witt, it's funny you because well? early I was on him. Like I got him in a couple of NFBC 50s. 
But then I kind of talked myself out of them the rest of the way, you know, maybe talking with Fred, you know, I, I was like, just the batting average, the team context, all that kind of dissuaded me from that. But I, I honestly, I mean, if you have them, you're probably pretty happy right now, even with the, uh, the, the flaws in his game. I mean, just, you're getting all the, all the fancy goodness. You're getting the homers and the stolen bases. Uh, you're getting reasonable counting stats in the runs and RBI. You may, you're not getting a great batting average, but you were never getting a great batting average from Bobby Witt Jr. But you might. Uh, and that, that's, that's what interested me here. Uh, his expected batting average, according to StatCast, is 290. Uh, he's only hitting 257. But when you make up a, a pretty decent amount of contact and you're that fast, he seems like somebody who should, for the bulk of his career, be an asset in batting average and speed. I think. Um, mm. And if you look at him since the start of June, he's making significantly more contact. He was striking out about 23% of the time over the first two months, down to 17% since June 1st. And he's actually making a tiny bit more hard contact as well. So he sacrificed nothing to get there. Hitting the ball way more often also has his BABIP jumping a ton. But again, that speed, he's the kind of guy you trust to run an above average BABIP. I think it's 343 since the start of June is probably higher than you'd expect, but 315, 320 seems very possible. So I think there's a good chance that Witt spent the first half of the season only slightly disappointing the people who drafted him. I think looking at the earned auction value leaderboards, he's sitting as maybe a late second round, early third rounder, more than a one-two turn kind of guy. But I think he might be a late first rounder the rest of the way if that batting average really does rise to meet again 290 expected batting average that's yeah. that's a real asset absolutely in fact he's even earned auction values uh you know if i'm setting it according to uh the nfbc's draft uh the arizona fall league speakers league one that i'm in and uh he's worth 31 he's the end of a first rounder there oh, uh there he hits, if he hits 280 he's like a yeah. top five top seven pick you know he, uh, yeah so yeah i'm on board uh, so, you know, I, I think I would, you know, I, I think I will be willing to take him in the first round next year if we, if it does come to that there. All right, let's uh, move on to the next player on your list here. Um, and that is another one more hitter and Michael Harris on the Braves. We spent a good amount of time about with him earlier. He has been a lot better uh, as of late. Uh, not, you know, you look at his uh, stats for the course of the full season, still not awesome, but, uh, and he's still going to be batting towards the bottom of that Braves lineup, but. 255, nine homers, 11 stolen bases, 26 RBI, and 33 runs. That you're going to get hurt there, uh, in part because he was so bad batting average wise for such a long time, and also in part because of his spot in the order. Yeah, and that bad start to the season is going to make it harder for him to climb back up in the order. And, you know, there's just too many good hitters in that Atlanta lineup. So I, we might be losing that battle for him. I think those of us like me who were happy to draft Harris early in the year thinking that if he started the year late in the order, he would still probably move his way back up in it because he was just that good. Maybe that's not happening, but the rest of Michael Harris, I'm pretty happy with everything we're seeing. Uh, since the start of June, he's at a 139 WRC+, plus, whereas for the year, he's just at 93. So those season-long numbers do not reflect the guy he is right now. The interesting thing with him is I believe he's another one of those guys who – seems to be having more success as he got more aggressive. The big knock on him last year or in draft season was, man, that plate discipline is a worry. Uh, as a yep. rookie, he walked less than 5% of the time, strikeout rate just over 24%. So not a horrible strikeout rate, but next to that walk rate, 
that that was a worry. And the early part of this season, while nothing was going right for him, I was encouraged actually because the plate discipline seemed better. Uh, the, the strikeout rate was pretty similar, but his walks were league average, just over 8% through the first two months. Since he's gotten hot, it's because he stopped walking. He's got yes, 2.4% right. walk rate since the start of June. So the very thing that made me encouraged early in the year and where I thought, hmm, I think he's fine and I think he's actually learning something, well, he went away from that and it's, it's working to great effect. So, I But he's totally also striking out way less year. now. Yes, exactly. He's just hunting for his pitches and he hasn't had time to walk or strike out because he's already made contact. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's the push and pull, right? You know, before maybe pitchers realized he was giving them a strike and now he, he may not be. And, you know, te- teams will catch up to that at some point in time and then he'll have to adjust. But he's only striking out uh, like 19 percent of the time. That's that's fine. That's great. Yeah. And it's just 16 percent again since June 1st. So, that, yeah, that's even more than fine for sure. Let's hit up a couple starting pitchers, starting off with Aaron Nola. What makes you encouraged about him? The velocity is the main thing. And I think that's probably if you could look at one thing where you quickly check, is this guy okay or not? If the velocity is back to normal and that's coming as a guy is getting better, that's really encouraging. And with Aaron Nola, his velocity was down the first two months of the year. Uh, He averaged 91.7 miles per hour. With his fastball, he sat at 92.9 or higher in each of the last five years. And I think that's probably because the Phillies just came off of the longest season ever, right? At least by some measures, they were the first team to ever make it from this expanded wildcard round all the way to the World Series. Uh, It was easy to be the first team to do that because it was the first year it was possible. Uh, And they did. And Nola made 37 total starts, and you could see he was flagging uh, at the end. His last three starts in the postseason, he didn't complete five innings. I think he gave up 14 runs across 13 innings in those three starts. Uh, So I was a little bit worried that fatigue might be getting to him, and it seemed like it early this year, and that velocity was down, but it's back up. And not everything is going right. That That's the one catch here with Nola. The too many homers, uh, particularly his last three starts, he's given up yep. six homers. That's not going to go away with Citizens Bank Park. And Nola's had, you know, entire seasons where the home run rate is elevated and he's just not quite the guy. But the rest of the picture for him, the strikeouts are coming back along with the velocity. And so I think that makes him a pretty good buy low. If somebody's looking at his season long numbers and thinking, man, this guy's nowhere close to the guy I drafted. You can almost track his effectiveness with the liveliness of the ball. Happy fun ball is 387, 127 in, in 2019, 2021. It was lively again, pretty lively 463, 113 this year, 439, 111. The whips are always better than the ERAs with him. Uh, and that's probably because of his gopher tendencies already 21 homers allowed this year after allowing just 19 all of last year and 32 starts. So that, that, that just illustrates, uh, you know, and how, and that's the thing is if his velocity is down a little bit, they're making more contact. That means it's getting elevated. It means it's going out. That's, that's always been the formula with him. Right. And his velocity is not particularly high to begin with. So he really can't yeah. afford to lose that much kind of similar to maybe Shane Bieber in Cleveland, where these guys who are elite pitchers, despite mediocre at best velocity, those are the guys you really have to worry about when they lose the step because Nola's mistakes when he misses a middle middle and they're 91 and a half mile per hour fastballs in citizens bank park. Yeah. Those, those don't work out too well for him, but 
if he can mistake at 93 and a half, you know, he'll, he'll get away with a few more. So I'm yeah, he probably won't end up being the ace that we paid for at the end of the second, beginning of the third round and a 15 teamer, but he probably will be closer to that version to the point where he, he's a positive and probably should trade for Nola right now. If you're, if you have a chance to do so, you say you only hear what you want to No, you want to, let's talk a little bit about you say Kikuchi and the Toronto blue Jays. Uh, looking at him right now, so far this season, 424 ERA, 129 whip. It's not the first time we've heard some rumblings of confidence, some positivity with him, with Yusei Kikuchi. Only then he's been he's set to burn us. And once again, Kikuchi's uh, worst attribute is the gopher ball. 22 homers allowed in 93 innings so far this year. Yeah, and certainly by including him in this piece, it is not a wholehearted endorsement, but there's a lot of things that are going right for him. Uh, mm -hmm. The the home runs are actually just as bad or worse. I guess his ground ball rate is the worst it's ever been. His first few years, he still had home run problems often, despite keeping the ball on the ground pretty well, which was weird this year. Uh, he's not keeping the ball on the ground, but he is avoiding the walks. Uh, his walk rate down to 7%. It was nearly 13% last year. So that's very encouraging. And he's, gone seven straight outings without walking more than two guys in any of them that seven start stretch 44 strikeouts against just eight walks in 37 innings uh if we didn't have all the baggage with kikuchi you know, if we hadn't seen him had these little runs before and been burned i think we'd probably be more excited but maybe we should be learning from his history i, I don't want to go overboard here that's for sure yeah exactly it's just a okay let's grab him where he's available cheaply sort of mentality here as far as that goes yeah, and it's the fact that it's it's a new way of being interesting for him probably makes him more interesting than he would either otherwise because in the past he was maybe more like a, a David Peterson where he got a decent amount of strikeouts and a good ground ball rate but walked too many guys and it was always an adventure. Uh, this is a new version of exciting and not always the right ways Kikuchi, for better or worse. Indeed, indeed. Um, we're going to talk NL playoffs, but uh, first – Two things. One, you can go ahead and get uh, the, the full list of Eric's uh, second half risers, his men, his rationale for it. Read up the article. It'll be up on the site later today. All you have to do is go to rotowire.com slash pod. Get yourself a free trial. Peek behind the paywall. No credit card is required. We don't want to, you know, sometimes you, people offer free trials like, oh, but it's automatically going to start charging in 30 days. No, that's not going to happen here. It's just a free peek behind the paywall. Read what you want to read. Hopefully you check out, you can check out also our football coverage if you're involved in that, but check out Eric's article and uh, hopefully you like it and you want to subscribe again, rotowire.com slash pod. It's right there below you. If you're uh, streaming with this, otherwise you just heard it. Also, we have some business to attend to. We have a great sponsor, home run index. We're going to talk about them real quick. We know the weather can impact how far a, bar, a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10. 1 is the most unfavorable for a good ball flight. Think like cold weather in Seattle or something like that. 10 indicating the most favorable air. There is a strong correlation between the index and the number of home runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, Average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game, so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence 
might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com right now to sign up. Again, that's homerunforecast.com. I'm here with Eric Halterman. My name is Jeff Erickson. Thank you for joining us here. Uh, we're going to look at the NL playoffs now because, uh, hey, we're both NL fans. You're a Phillies fan. I'm a Reds fan. You live in Chicago. I live in L.A. So we have, like, lots of uh, perspectives to draw from here. Let's start off in the uh, the NL East. Let's talk about your Phils. They are the fighting Phils. They, they've played much better ball lately. You know, they had that ridiculous road stretch where they, I think they won, what, 13 straight road games, swept the Rays. Um, they're 48 and 41. They're, they're the, 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 the East is going to be a tough road to hoe. They're still 12 games behind the Braves, but they're looking pretty good for a wild card spot now. Yeah. I believe they got to this point in the season with, I think it was the exact same record they were last year, or maybe it's on pace for the exact same record they finished with last year. And in fact, it might even be both. I guess it's not that surprising to me that this is exactly where we were. I kind of figured the Phillies would be fighting on that 6-7 line with a good shot at the final wild card, but far from a lock. And I didn't think that they would be particularly close to whichever of Atlanta or the Mets ran away with things at the top. It's it's a messy season. And it's an imperfect team, but it's pretty similar in terms of its overall talent to last year. And if Aaron Nola looks more like last year's version, and if Zach Wheeler does as well, the, the formula can work. Uh, you need Bryce Harper to remember how to hit homers and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. But can't forget that we didn't even expect to have Bryce Harper back until right around now. Uh, so anything the Phillies got from him up to this point was a bonus. So it's, you know, it, it's looking it's looking like another one of those seasons for the Phillies. And I think with another couple small pieces, they can sneak in and maybe go on a run. But I, I wouldn't be thinking of them with a ton of confidence at the moment. Yeah, well, and it's just it's crowded. Uh, the the yep. wild card standings in the NL, I mean, are, are really crowded right now. Uh, you've got the Marlins. Uh, you've got uh, you, uh, the Marlins are ahead of them within the division. I think they fall back a little bit. That's my my prediction there a little bit. But uh, the Diamondbacks are ahead of them. The Giants are ahead of them, but only by a half a game. The Brewers are a half. They're also Brewers are tied in terms of when like distance from five hundred. So also five a half game out of the wild card. They play two more games in the Phils. And then the Padres, I wouldn't write, I wouldn't write off the Padres' chances either at forty three and forty seven. Um, I, I they're playing better ball now, and they've got the talent, and they've demonstrated a willingness to go for it in the past too. Yeah, I mean, would you really be all that surprised if the Padres outperform the sixth best team in the NL by six games over half a season? I think that's probably the expectation we had for them at the start of the season, right? We probably right. would have expected the Padres to be six games up on the last wild card spot at this point. So that talent is still there if they decide to make moves. I mean, if for both them and the Mets, it's going to be the next week or so. If both those teams, if they come out of the gate, say two and four, one and five in their first couple of series, it's going to be really hard to justify anything but selling despite the rosters they have. And I think those two things, that's going to determine whether or not we have a lot available on the market or not very much. Yeah, Padres were plus 310 the other day to make the playoffs. I did a hit on a VEASAN, a segment on VEASAN uh, while we were in Vegas, and I think that's posted on the site now. You can check that out, too, when you get that free trial. In fact, that's free anyhow. You can check it out. Uh, but uh, 
I, I made the case for the Padres uh, as that being a, a, dec- a reasonable bet. Uh, so uh, we'll see. Uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about these Marlins that are a game ahead of the or a spot, not a game ahead, but a spot ahead of the Phillies. Uh, they're three games up uh, on like the, the last wild card spot. So they're 53 and 39. They have a negative run differential minus five. They're just uh, sent down Yuri Perez. I don't know how long that lasts, but I know they want to maintain his innings a little bit there. Try to keep him fresh, but not use him too much. I have a hard time wrapping my head, uh, head around these Marlins. Uh, what what do you say about them? Yeah, I mean, negative run differential is, is maybe what you say, and you keep saying that, and then you wonder how they're here to begin with. But the rotation is very good and very deep. They have more than enough pieces that they're one of the few teams that won't feel like they have to add pitching, at least in the rotation. And even the back end of the bullpen is fine. Every contender can add pieces to the back end of the bullpen. Right. But since they have so many young pieces, they're equipped to add if they want to. It's just, you know, it's the Marlins. Do we really expect them to go all in? But they have spots where you can upgrade a good amount over I mean, I could almost just read out their whole lineup and you could pick half the spots and you say there's somebody who's, you know, a win or two better than Garrett Cooper, maybe the second half or Joey Wendell or whatever's left of Gene Segura. There's got to be ways you can find, you know, an entire win above replacement over half the season uh, out there without even giving up that much. And I guess that's a good position to be in, right? If you're fine all over, and you don't have clear strengths and clear weaknesses, it's hard to upgrade when the Marlins have, they have holes. They're, they're going to be maybe playing in a different market than other contenders, not just because they don't like spending as much, but because they don't need as much to create the same type of upgrade. Right. Uh, and not only that, but they haven't spent so much yet. So in theory, taking on a contract shouldn't be a problem for them. Now, might be from an organizational philosophy might be from a how much revenue we've earned what what's our starting ticket base but i'll tell you what winning draws fans and we've seen it in cincinnati i wouldn't be surprised we see a little uptick in uh attendance where the marlins as well yeah and the fact that they have been willing to call up some of their top pitching prospects like Erie perez pretty fast that maybe should encourage marlins fans that maybe they are gonna spend a little bit more than i'm expecting them to i'm just I would never go into a deadline expecting them to be the splashiest movers. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. Garrett Cooper, by the way, has been beasting the last uh, three weeks. Sure, uh, maybe it was unfair OPS. to him. But yeah, to your point though, look at what he was doing before that. He, you know, you know look at where he is after that. Gene Segura is someone I was actually kind of interested in, Fab, uh, over the weekend. He was available in a few places. A little bit better lately, healthier now, coming back from that fractured finger. Uh, the last 21 days, 788 OPS. No, I could, I would take that from him. But to your point, you could still improve off of him. That's for sure. Yeah, even even if we're saying he's not the guy who has a 54 WRC plus on the season, he's still got to be one of the weakest two or three contenders third baseman out there. I, I think yeah. pretty much every team that is even pretending like they're competing has got something a lot more than that. Uncle Ted suggests the Marlins should go after Sal Perez. Yeah, I mean, immediate improvement. Sure. Immediate improvement. Huge improvement. They've got nothing from the catcher spot. Nick Fortes and Jacob Stallings. That's, you know, do you want to talk about somewhere, a place where they could easily improve? Absolutely there. Negative on this team is Jazz Chisholm hurt. Uh, right. Mild oblique strain. Sure. Okay, it's mild. 
well, I'll believe it when it when he comes back in two weeks. Otherwise, it, I'm I'm not going to be, you know, I, all the bleak strains are bad as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, talked about it with Jordan Alvarez earlier, yep. and like with Alvarez, they're both guys who you know don't have sparkling health track records. So I I'm more worried about an oblique than many other injuries. I guess when Chisholm comes back, we expect his legs to work just fine, but that power that he shows at times, maybe uh, not expecting the same level necessarily. Herman asked how much the strength of schedule matter uh, for the, like trying to handicap the rest of it. Of course it matters, right? Um, If you've had like Toronto, if they say, if they've played more of their ALE schedule and less of the rest of their schedule, because they've been beating up on the quote unquote rest and losing badly to their own division. We saw that last year at the Red Sox. There's fewer divisional games this year. That matters some too. So yeah, you had you could dig into that. What what say you about all this? Yeah, I'm just looking real quick at Tankathon, which has the remaining strengths of schedule. Uh, the range in winning percentage is from the Twins' remaining opponents have a 46.6% winning percentage. Uh, the Rockies' opponents have a 52% winning percentage. So maybe ding Poor the Rockies, Rockies' playoff odds a bit. Yeah. Yeah, incidentally, the, <laughs> almost were, uh, they were Nats, almost Nationals there. Have the second worst, so yeah, yeah, tough, tough break for the Rockies and Nats. But that, I mean, that's pretty big difference between forty-seven and fifty-two. But a ton of the teams are sitting between, you know, four ninety-five and five oh six or so. So a lot of the teams aren't going to have a very notable thing. Uh, certainly later in the season, as each individual series starts to become a larger portion of the remaining schedule. I would pay attention to it even more. I can't honestly say that I look a lot at it right now, but that mm-hmm. might be a weakness. San Francisco giants are currently the last wild card, sitting at 49 and 41. Uh, I, I probably spend less time talking about the giants than all, but maybe two or three other teams for whatever reason, they're just kind of just there for me. I, well, and I, I, I got to start though. And I'm going to give them credit because Patrick Bailey has been a heck of a call up for them. Uh, he's, he's that catcher, you know, Francisco Alvarez is obviously having a great year, but Patrick Bailey, he he's like almost had the Ellie effect for the giants. He's been that good. Yeah. And I guess maybe a catcher can do that too, just with sort of the off field position that a good catcher can have as a leader on that team. And you figure maybe he can fire up and inspire a turnaround in some way, obviously, Giants are used to having a catcher who can do that sort of thing. Uh, Not everything with Bailey looks totally believable. He's got a 375 BABIP driving his run, and the the plate discipline's pretty bad. Yeah, 27% strikeout rate against a 3% walk rate isn't the kind of thing that I like to get behind. But given the lower bar at catcher, uh, I think certainly he can fall off from there and still be a whole lot better than they thought they were getting. I mean, he hadn't really even shown much in the minors to suggest that he was about to be big league ready, let alone good at big league level. Right. That's absolutely right. They just had a big injury. Tyro Estrada is out for four to six weeks uh, with that uh, hand injury. Uh, it, It will be extended if he needs surgery, but he's got a fracture in his left hand. Uh, that was a week ago Sunday. Um, so we're talking almost, uh, yeah, well, well, yeah, we're almost talking like two and a, like a week and a half now since this has happened. Uh, you know, the note that we had was said four to six weeks gave him that timeline was about a week ago on the sixth. So uh, we're still talking three to five more weeks. Casey Schmidt has been getting most of the playing time. Casey Schmidt was good for a week and then 
the league adjusted to him and he's been trying to find it. He's got a six to 39 walk to K ratio in his own right. Yeah. Do they have a type? It's not exactly the type that I would expect an analytical smart organization to have, or maybe they've just had a few guys who've been working out. Uh, But I think you mentioned that you don't talk about the giants all that much. And I think a good reason for that is because for fantasy purposes, so many of their best players aren't even full-time guys. Their whole model in San Francisco is just like in Tampa Bay. They create these platoons everywhere they can, which means I guess that they can soak up an injury better than most because they don't have single players who are big outliers. Mm -hmm. Right? If your best player is Tyro Estrada and by war, it has been, I mean, it certainly hurts to lose your best player and Estrada has been good, but it hurts a lot less than if your best player is Aaron judge and he projects for, you know, five more wins than the rest of your team. That really flat, talent model i think is going to keep them in the race even through these injuries it also makes it really hard to pinpoint exactly where they need to add talent because everything's so fluid and flat yeah that's right um one of the guys they uh have been getting production from recently and thanks to uh uh, in the comments there uh, about blake sable who has had some some power lately but blake sable is weird he had three homers earlier like uh, and a week ago and then, like, in the last weekend, he sat out three of the last four games. Like, just completely sat out, too. Uh, one against Seattle, two against Colorado, two of the three against uh, Colorado. He just, I guess he just sits against lefties for the most part, especially with Yaz and Conforto back. Yeah, I'm looking. It looks like he started once the entire season against lefties, so it seems like it doesn't matter what he can do. He yep. is only part of their right-handed lineup. And as for him... We don't care. I think for most of the Giants who are like him, where they're pretty interesting, but they don't quite play as often as you want, that really hurts. But because he's a catcher, just like with Bailey, I think the uh, the level he needs to reach to be fantasy viable is much lower. And I think what he's done in that role, I mean, his part-time outfielder role that gives him catcher eligibility, is still giving him similar amount of plate appearances to a lot of catchers. Uh, so... I don't think he's going to get more playing time than that, but given that he's a catcher, I think I don't think we care in his case. Sables had 33 plate appearances against lefties this year. In those 33 plate appearances, he's hitting 103, 188, 103. That's right. No extra base hits at all. Uh, So I don't think he's adding to that total. No, sir. I don't believe he will be there. Uh, That, you know, on the pitching side of things, uh, Desclafani is on the IL right now. They still have to figure out a fifth starter, but who doesn't at this point in time? Yeah, we haven't talked about our, uh, our Reds yet here. So uh, we, uh, when we do that, uh, we, we'll just kind of brush by all that pitching uh, for the Reds. But no, it's Webb, Cobb, Alex Wood, and Ross Stripling have been just okay. Wood has actually been kind of a disappointment, actually. 468 and 148 on his ratios. Uh, this is a team, they could use another starting pitcher. I guess a lot of teams could, but I, I think if they do anything, they're going to be adding a starter. Yeah, and it's probably not just bringing Sean Manaya back into that role. Uh, he's got some things going well in his underlying numbers, but he mm-hmm. still has a 549 ERA on the season. So I do think they need something. It might just be Kyle Harrison, although he has got a moderate hamstring strain as of last week. So right. maybe he's not about to get called up and be that guy. So could certainly and Harrison never up. goes deep either. I mean, that's one of the things, even in the in AAA, he's averaging less than five innings per start. Right, very, very rays of them, and and I would wonder if the next crop of Giants rookie pitchers, whenever that arrives, there's not necessarily been a lot 
uh, in the last few years because they keep trotting out these Anthony Disclafani types. But I wonder if this is the start of what's going to be a trend for San Francisco where they've decided we only need to develop a four to five inning starter. Maybe so. Maybe so. Let's talk a little Milwaukee Brewers, 49-42. They're a half game out of the wild card. They're one game out in the central behind our Reds. Uh, they took two or three against the Reds before the break. They face the Reds now in Cincinnati this weekend. Uh, and then they'll only have one more series left with the Reds the rest of the season, So, which, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's like coming in relatively short order as well. Yeah, I guess that's the uh, impact of the balanced schedule, right? We right. expect we're used to seeing several in the second half, but there's definitely going to be. Yeah, that's right. Uh, like that. So, yeah, they face the Reds this weekend, 14th, 15th, 16th. Then they have another home series against the Reds Monday, uh, July 24th through Wednesday, July 26th. And that is it. They don't have any other games against the Reds the rest of the season. So this is this is critical. Yeah, maybe the division's going to come down to everybody's games against the Pirates and the fellow basement dwellers, the Cardinals, rather than games against the Reds. Who knew? You said that with a certain amount of uh, joy in your voice there, Eric. Don't lie. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a not a Cardinals hater necessarily, but I think oh, come on, you're co- living in. Yeah, yeah. well, so actually, it's interesting. Maybe other people feel differently, but I've found that you don't pick up your second team's rivals to the same extent. So my rivals are all still the Phillies rivals, and I like okay, that's fair. having lived here for several years, but I don't pick up the same dislike for their teams. I would probably like the Cardinals less than your average team, but that's probably right. true for a lot of MLB fans. Don't yeah. tell them that, though. Okay. I won't. Secret safe here. Um, what do the Brewers need? What can they add? To not subtract is that is that where we get to start? I mean, yeah. <laughs> given what right they did last year. year, they need to not trade away Corbin Burns and whoever else. Uh, they need to either have Julio Tehran continue to be, you know, a two ERA pitcher or whatever his sits at right now, or they need to get an actual good fourth starter. Uh, I guess Brandon Woodruff is on his way back. We've got him projected to come back in roughly a month. So maybe they only need one starter there, but that could help. But they also need hitting. They're another one of those teams where it's somewhat flat. They've got a bunch of spots in the lineup where you figure most of the contenders have somebody a lot better than, you know, Bryce Terang is just not there yet at second base or Brian Anderson, not necessarily a contender's third baseman. So they've, they've got, a similar situation to the Marlins where they, where they've got a bunch of pretty low down players on, on the top spot on their depth chart. You know, you got maybe the 25th best second baseman and third baseman in the league or something. There's a lot of guys out there that could be modest help uh, in addition to, again, not making that rotation worse and ideally making it a little better. Exactly. Arizona Diamondbacks have the second wild card. Sitting at 52 and 39, they did drop out of first place in the division behind the Dodgers just recently. Struggled, four, won four out of their last 10. Their bullpen's been lit up a little bit. Are they trading for a closer at the deadline? That's that's an interesting one because do you think the fact that they don't have a clear number one closer and that they've had different guys at different parts of the year, is that a organizational philosophy? If it is, then maybe they get another Scott McGuff level guy for cheap and just, you know, extend that pool of guys they're comfortable turning to in the seventh inning and later. But they've had closers in the recent past with Mark Melanson, so I think they would be open to adding somebody who's good enough to push all those setup men back into a setup role. Certainly that would be 
something I would be trying to do if I was in Arizona. But they're at an interesting spot, too, where they're at the start of their competitive window. Right. So many of their best players are so young that I wouldn't be surprised if they feel less incentivized to say, this is the year where it has to all work. Granted, in that division, maybe you just have to take advantage of the year where the Padres, it's not working there, and the Dodgers decided to take last offseason off, and they're only a normal good team this year instead of you know one of the best teams in the league. So maybe you have to say, this is our time. But I wouldn't be surprised if they keep focused on you know building a five-year window here and don't feel like they're forced to play at the top of that market. Yeah. Merrill Kelly's on the IL for the Diamondbacks right now. I think that's really, really harmful because the rest of the rotation behind Gallon and Kelly has been very shaky. Tommy Henry's been good lately. Ryan Nelson had his partisans, and then he got bombed this past week. Zach Davies is ghosting us. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, too soon. Uh, 637 ERA, though, 153 whipped. I mean, he... He needs uh, they need to replace three guys in this rotation plus Merrill Kelly's injury. Dre Jamison's hurt right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I they're very a lot of similarities between the Diamondbacks and the Reds, where they have this good young core at the start of their competitive window and tragic starting pitching. Yeah, and I wonder how much the two differences in the divisions are going to affect their approaches because it's. Definitely true. If we were just in a straight AL-NL split, I think they would be making very similar decisions right now. And I guess they're similar relative to the other teams in their division in terms of where they are in their respective division standings. They're, they're both right there. So maybe that says they should approach it similarly. But the Reds also can know, hey, I don't think anybody else in this division is about to become a juggernaut. Whereas right. the Diamondbacks probably expect the Dodgers to get back to looking like the Dodgers starting next season, if not the rest of this year. So that probably affects both teams planning. Tommy Henry is their second best pitcher. That's both true and not yet an endorsement. Yes. Uh, it, it's, I mean, he's had his moments, 375 ERA, not a huge strikeout pitcher, but he's had a couple of games where he's gotten the case, but 51 Ks in 74 innings. Uh, yeah, they, they need, he needs to be their five star, number five starter, or number four starter. Henry does. He doesn't need to be their ace. He doesn't need to be their number two. I mean, if he's their number two, that means they don't have enough. Yeah, I was just looking at his page because I assumed that he must be decent at keeping the ball on the ground because he's had a fine ERA and gets no strikeouts, but he's not actually that either. Uh, his ground ball rate is below average. He walks an above average amount of guys, and his strikeout rate is nowhere close to average. So he looks more like a number six by those numbers. He's yep. had better luck than that, of course, but I would not be happy with him even starting the fourth game of a playoff series early. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. I, so we'll see. Maybe they keep their powder dry. My, my prediction is that they fall off. I was big on the Diamondbacks coming in and uh, like on their totals, but I just don't think they have the pitching. I don't think they, they go crazy at the deadline and I think they need to go crazy. I think they and the Reds are, like I said, have a lot of similarities and I think, we're going to be disappointed with both with their lack of uh, uh, inputs right now. Yeah. Although I guess with the expanded playoffs, do you think teams acting where, you know, we just need to get there and we'll try to get hot at the right time. Does that become more defensible? I think in the case of the reds, when you have such a need in the pitching side, if the reds just say, well, we think we're going to win the division anyway, because it's the NL central and we have good hitters. Uh, I think that would be pretty disappointing, even as a, a neutral fan who is now also a Reds fan, like the rest of the baseball world. I think right. pretty much everybody wants the Reds to add at least a little bit of pitching. 
I'll, let's just say I'm prepared to be disappointed. I think you're not going to see any aces get added to the Reds. It's going to be journeymen. Um, it won't be. It won't be specifically like Jordan Montgomery or Miles Michaelis because I don't think the Cardinals trade with them. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. But that type of pitcher, it's not going to be Lucas Giolito. I, I, I would. I'd happily be. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I, I don't think you're going to get that level of pitcher. I think you're going to get something that's above replacement level, but not much, not by much. Like I'm trying to even think like Zach Granke, uh, right. maybe he is replacement level at this point in time. That's, that's yeah. what I think the reds are going to acquire something that doesn't cost them a real prospect because I think they view themselves at the beginning, at the front start of their window. Uh, and they don't want to trade Noel V. Marte. They don't want to trade in Carnacion strand. Right, right. Both them and the Orioles in the AL, which we're not talking about today, but both of them still have the pieces in the minors to add to a contending team, which not a lot of contenders have that luxury. But like you're saying, I'm not sure I'm convinced either that the Reds will see this as the opportunity to, hey, we got to move our remaining pieces because we're finally here. We got to go all in. I would be surprised if, I, well, if one of those guys is gone for the right price, I, I wouldn't be completely shocked if they find something out there if the market develops in that way right. but with the new world order where there just aren't that many sellers the prices for the top guys might just not be something the reds want to pay in year one of what they hope is you know eight year window all right uh very good yeah i, I tend to agree with you on that and they've got Connor phillips that'll be maybe they'll call him up too and add yet one more arm uh, we'll see that way there, but I do you see do we see Encarnacion Strand this year uh, or before like September? I mean, if he's one of the Reds' best nine hitters and the Reds are gonna play in the playoffs, we have to see him in September, right? And they have to find some way of getting him in there. And I mean, don't we believe that he probably is one of their best nine hitters right now? Mm -hmm. uh, I think they. They owe it to themselves to see what it looks like. I think if they get to the playoffs without having given him any playing time, I think that'd be a pretty massive disappointment. He didn't even have to start this year at double A or anything. We're talking about a guy who's been a triple A hitter all season and has hit great. I think it would be a real shame if they didn't give him a look uh, in September. I don't know if that's enough of a look that you have to go stash him in fantasy leagues now because I just don't know how all the pieces fit together. Is it probably going to be Spencer Steer spends a little bit of time in left field or something like that? He's already has been. So yeah, I think that's how uh, that I, works mostly. And Stevenson spends more time behind. Sign. Yeah. And Stevenson yeah. spends more time on the, behind the plate right. than he does uh, at DH too. That allows for both Votto uh, and Steer and Encarnacion Strand to find a way in there at some point in time. Votto's also going to sit against lefties. That's, they've already kind of uh, decided that too. Uh, two questions to finish here in the chat room here. Penguin uh, King uh, Penguin King RC says, I picked up Hunter Green and Edward Cabrera. Both are on the injury list. Think they are holds? Yeah, just checking what we have as their projected return dates. Sometime uh, in August for Green. Green I can tell yeah, you that could much. be out until August. That's uh, August 4th is what we have. And then for Cabrera, is beginning the rehab assignment, and we have his projected return date actually next week. And I think both of those are early enough. Uh, Cabrera seems like a definite hold green seems like hold, but if we hear setback or something that, that return date, you know, with the August return date, one setback might push that into early September. And right. then, you know, his first start back might not be long enough. And then we're talking about you're holding him now for 
only four starts at the end of the year. But as of right now, I, I would be wanting to hold both those guys. I yeah. Think. And if we get into September, then you worry about minor league teams being done too and all that. Right. You know, one of the complications this week is minor leagues were dark this past week. So a lot of pitchers couldn't do rehab as uh, rehab starts. And yeah, we were mentioned Merrill Kelly, his uh, rehab start got pushed back his first. He could come back theoretically on Friday. Uh, Kelly could, but at the same time, because he didn't get that rehab game in, it's going to be pushed back just a little bit longer there. So, you know, uh, it can happen that way. Herman asks, was asking about Yuri Perez and knowing how to hold on, wh where he should hold on to him. And in a vacuum, yes. Sometimes context makes it a tougher call. Uh, he's got Scooble on his IL and can't make the move to activate him because he's got Yuri in his lineup. He could drop Gavin Williams to hold Yuri and activate Scooble. I mean, if you're in a league that's thin enough that one of those three has to be dropped, it's a lot harder of a question. I'm The leagues I'm in are deeper, and it's an easier decision to hold on to Perez. But in other leagues, it might not be as easy. Yeah, I would say that as much as I love Yuri Perez and I have loved everything that he's given my teams this season, I'm not confident in him as a shoe-in, gotta roster him in shallow leagues the rest of the way. Uh, all of that innings management stuff uh, is going to keep happening. I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, yeah, the Marlins right. are, you know, they they are in the position where they need to focus on getting to the playoffs, but they also depending on how this next month or so goes, they're going to start thinking about making sure he's pitching in the playoffs. And he's also a little bit over his skis in terms of, you know, his ERA 236, pretty much every ERA estimator is around 370, 380. So yep. if you think that he's going to be the 370, 380 guy going forward, which is still amazing for, you know, a 20 year old who's seven foot 15, uh, we still love him being that guy the rest of the way. But if you think that's the guy we're getting and we're not necessarily going to get him every start, maybe the second half isn't going to be all that close to the first and it's not going to be that close to what we're going to get next year. I think this could be some of the least interesting months of Perez's career, even if the talent is outstanding. I think the way I play it is I'd wait at least one more week on Scooble. Um, just I think you can probably get away with that a little bit uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, I, I you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, a couple of different things real quick on on Detroit. First of all, uh, Scooble threw 63 pitches in his first outing. You know, that shortened outing is kind of concerning. We don't have him projected to start until Tuesday. Maybe you can even wait till this next week to wake, make that decision. Uh, I, they, they might go, you know, then you're, the problem is like if you have to make the decision now for the next 10 days, then I'd have to do it because he does have two starts, you know, against KC and uh, at home against San Diego next Tuesday and next Sunday, respectively. But if I can buy some time to make that decision, I do. And that maybe gives me a better insight into what the Marlins are going to do with Perez. Because uh, I, mean, Brian Hoeing, Johnny Cueto, I just, this is a contending team. I don't see it. Um, I think they're going to find a way. Uh, they're going to get Cabrera back eventually. Uh, but they also have like a stretch there where they're going to have uh, some off games. They have a th off next Thursday off the following Monday, maybe that'll kind of open up the door for them to kind of bring Perez back after that. Yeah, definitely. Anytime you can game the injured reserve rules, injured list rules to basically extend your roster by one extra guy. If there's nothing stopping you from keeping a guy who's already healthy on the injured mm -hmm. list, uh, if you're not hurting your chances too much, especially if this is like, say, a leave with playoffs, where the fact that you're sitting on Yuri for this week matters less than the fact that you'll have him for the final week of the year. Uh, definitely think about, you know, gaming the roster rules like that, as long as that's uh, all above board in your league. Indeed. Indeed. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Good questions. 
I, I appreciate everybody chiming in. Love having live listeners like this here. Eric, thank you for joining me. Uh, looking forward to seeing your barometer up on the site. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was great. All right. We got Clay and Todd tomorrow. Two-star starters. Looking forward to hearing that. Uh, again, thanks to uh, you guys for listening. Thanks to the Blue Wire Network for hosting us. Uh, thanks also to Home Run Index for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, thanks again for listening to Rotowire. Take care.